Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, good morning. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, if you don't have a traditional Bible and you want one and you're comfortable, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and open the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app. We've already uploaded all the notes and all the scriptures, and we'll put them on the screen behind me just to make it as easy as possible for you. Hey, if you're watching us online or you're one of our other gatherings, love you guys. and so glad that you are a part of our community. Super glad you guys are part of our community. Love you guys. Missed you last week. What a great message by Pastor Sonny. Man, I, w- I took more notes on that message. I could go preach that message anywhere word for word. And actually, I actually texted her a bunch of all the, the one-liners. I thought she had some great points, but I also thought she had some great sunnyisms inside that thing, which is one of the things that I loved about it most. Probably my favorite line of the whole thing was that John the Baptist was the John Coon of the Bible. I was like, well, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that he was the John Coon of the Bible. And so anyway, she's in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. today. And so super glad to be with you guys today. Listen, it's easy for us to serve God when things are good, isn't it? Like your marriage is good, your kids are good, you're putting a little money away, your car's running great. You ever have a faith car? You have a car you got, it builds your prayer life, builds your fasting life, you got, teaches you how to lay hands on stuff. I used to have a car that ran on uh, unleaded and prayer. It's a 50-50 chance when I went out there if that mug was going to start. Like I'd go out there, it's a 73 Nova. It was the car I had when I met Pastor Sonny. Man, I loved that car. But the first time I picked her up in it, she said, is this your car? And I was like, not for long. <laughs> you'd go out, you'd put the key in that thing. And I don't know if you've ever had a car like that where, uh, where you feel like, you, like you're in the mob. Like you turn the, the key just a little bit just to hear if it's going to start or if it's going to go... And it would just whine to me. And I, oh, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. And it always break down the moment that I had something important to do. And I'd, oh, God, please, in Jesus' name. And when you'd feel like, man, the Holy Spirit, you feel like you're in the book of Acts, like something just happened. So it's easy when your car's running good. Uh, you got lots of overtime coming in. Your credit is up. Life is good. It's easy to serve God when things are going good. But what about serving him? In the even if. In Daniel chapter 3, the king, he had threatened to throw Daniel's friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a furnace if they didn't bow down and worship the, the golden image of him that he had built of himself. But their response has echoed for generations. They answered, your threats mean nothing to us. Man, if you throw us in the fire of the God we serve, he can rescue us from your roaring furnace and, and anything else you might cook up. Watch this. But even if he doesn't, man, when are we going to live our lives like even if he doesn't? They said, but even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. We're still not going to serve your gods. We're still not going to worship your golden statue. It's easy to serve God when things are going good. But what about serving him in those even if moments? I have a friend named Kenton, and uh, he's been the music pastor 
at his church for over 40 years. And early on, he and his wife, Benita, they really wanted to have kids, but for the longest time, they couldn't. And they, they tried everything. They prayed, they fasted, they, they went to the doctors, they, they tried all sorts of different treatments, all sorts of different therapies, but nothing worked. Finally, Kenton had almost given up, and after years of frustration, his wife, Benita, she, she came to him and she gave him the most incredible news. She, she told him that she was pregnant. They were finally going to have a baby, and, and when their son was born, everything was great. He was healthy. He was happy. He was active. He was advanced. He was, he was in the top percentile in his height and weight. He walked early. He talked early. He was handsome. He was tall. He was like the me version of a baby. He was handsome. He was tall. I felt like that was a name and moment, not a laugh moment. But anyway, he was handsome. He was tall. He was affectionate. By all standards, he was more than worth the wait. But one day he, he started getting sick. And it started out small. It's like a, a chronic stuffy nose and, and then uh, respiratory infections. And, and then his ears kept getting clogged up. They, they had to put tubes in his ears. And as time went on, his sicknesses grew both in frequency and in severity. Until one day they took him to their doctor and he told him that, that he thought it might be cancer. Kitten and Benita, man, they weren't going to accept that. And so they, they started, you know, grasping at straws and, and they started trying alternative methodology. They, they took him to a homeopathic doctor and the homeopathic doctor did blood tests and ran all sorts of different techniques and finally discovered that it was something he was eating. He was having an adverse reaction. I want to talk about that today from a spiritual standpoint in a message that we're calling an adverse reaction reaction. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. God, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for my friends who are in this place and the calling that's on their lives, that every person in this room, God, you have chosen us. You have called us by name. You've set us apart. You've assigned us with a set of responsibilities, God, that no one else on earth can do. That every person in this room, we, we have a unique skill set. We have a unique gifting that, God, you are desperate and ready to use. And so today I pray that as adversity comes our way, that you would protect us, that you would propel us, that you would keep us in the path that you've called us to be on. And so today I pray that when we leave this place, not only would we be more like you, but we'd be more in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in pharmacology, an advanced reaction is defined as an undesired effect an undesired effect. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, the author of the book of Philippians says. He, he, he writes, I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else too, they, they found out that I'm in jail because of the Messiah. That, that piqued their curiosity and, and now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus who are here have also become far more sure of themselves in the faith than they ever have before. They speak out fearlessly about God, about Jesus, about the Messiah. He says, I mean, it's true that there's some in here who preach Christ because, because with me out of the way, they think that they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others, they do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, they're just greedy. 
They're hoping to get something out of this for themselves. Their motive, it's bad. They, they see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. I mean, like, how am I supposed to respond to that? Well, for me, I've decided that, listen, Jack, I don't really care about their motives, whether they're mixed, whether they're bad, whether they're indifferent. It doesn't matter to me because every time one of them opens his mouth, Jesus is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. Dude, I love that little portion. I love that, that little passage where Paul is just like, he's just living his life on his sleeve. He, he, he's just living his life where people are against him. And, and I, wish that you could, I wish that you could deposit yourself into the story about how hard Paul really had it in that moment. And it's interesting how people who have it really hard can go one way or the other. They, they can become the victim or they can become the victor. They, they, they can become somebody who's beaten down or they could be somebody who's, who's pushed forward. And Paul said, listen, all these cats, they're trying to destroy me. They're trying to destroy my reputation. They're trying to, they're trying to destroy the message that God has called me to. But it, that doesn't matter to me. Because as long as anyone is opening their mouth and saying the name of Jesus, if, if his name is lifted up, he'll draw all men. Unto him. I mean, the book of Philippians, it's what we call a prison epistle. I mean, an epistle is, is just a letter. So a prison epistle is a letter that's written from prison. So this, this book was written from prison. Paul, having an encounter with Jesus, he, he started speaking about him everywhere that he went. And his messages, they were so effective that the religious leaders of his day, they had him arrested and they had him put in prison in Rome. And, and, and this is the first of two times that Paul would be imprisoned in Rome. The second time he would be beheaded in the street. But, but that imprisonment didn't accomplish what his enemies thought it would. His adversity didn't have the effect on him that his enemies had intended. He says it had the opposite of its intended effect. It had an undesired effect on his enemies. It had an adverse reaction. And so I thought, let's take a few minutes today and use that play on words to talk about how to react to adversity. Because we all go through adversity. Life is filled with adversity. It's, it's filled with with storms. If, if you ever meet somebody who tells you that they don't have any adversity in their life, that they don't have any challenges, uh, get a sample of their hair follicle and take it to a geneticist and see if they can duplicate that and grind it into a pill and then go on TV and get you an infomercial and come up with a multi-level marketing thing where you recruit three of your closest friends who recruit three of their closest friends that you can tell them, if you'll just do this, you will never have it. Like that sounds ludicrous. It sounds ludicrous to think that you would ever meet anybody who doesn't have adversity in their lives. But the enemy loves for us to think that we're the only ones. See, that's how the enemy works. He loves to operate in isolation, to make us feel like we're the only people who are going through what we're going through. That's like, as much as I, as I am uh, burdened by this outbreak of mental health in our culture today, I'm also encouraged by it. Encouraged by the fact that, that it's out there enough that people are talking about it, that people are going through intensives, that people are, are going through journey to wholeness, and, and uh, especially guys. Like, bro, I grew up where God, we didn't talk about our feelings. Like, like if, you, if you talk about your feelings as a dude, man, guys will call you a sissy. They would just be like, bro, this, like, 
what is this guy? It's this we, it was just weird. And now it, there's just something about this idea of people putting out there the fact that they are like, for you to know that I go through adversity should be an encouragement to you because it lets you know that you're never alone in the struggles that you endure. Life is filled with adversity. It's filled with storms. In fact, my pastor, who was the most positive person I've ever met, he, he told me this one time. He said, we're all either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. <laughs> and when he said that, I jokingly said, well, uh, can you tell me anything positive, pastor? He said, oh, oh yeah, sure. I'm positive. We're all either in a storm, <laughs> coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. Uh, life is filled with adversity. And so the question is, what's your reaction to that adversity going to be? I think our reaction to our adversity depends on our view of where that adversity comes from. Let me just start by saying God is not the cause of your adversity. He's not keeping track of everything you do wrong, waiting for an opportunity to bully you. In fact, God is keeping track of everything you do right, waiting for an opportunity to bless you. But our culture wants us to believe that we, we serve a bully God rather than a blessing God. I have never in my life, I'll be 50 in October, which I'm starting to feel it. I feel like a Rottweiler. <laughs> Ever see a Rottweiler that hit about six years old and all of a sudden the wheels start coming off that train? Like, that's how I feel. I just, I went on a on a recruiting trip with my, with my son this week. We're in South Carolina and he got to, you know, go tour the campus and we went to practices. And, and then uh, at the practice, about 10 minutes into the practice, I started looking around. Where are the chairs at? And I was like, man, my feet hurt. And my knees hurt. And my hips, like it was working its way up, like a thermometer with a fever. And I just thought, like, oh. and I started, I started doing this move. And he knew it was bad when he looked over. I was trying to look like a coach. You know, coaches, when they got, coaches are like, they got the playbook in the front of their shorts. This is what's happening. You think they're paying attention. They're just old. And I just was like, oh, this idea of God being a God who wants to bully. In my 50 years, I have never experienced God as a bully. But our culture wants us to believe that because nobody likes a bully. Nobody wants to be around a bully. Nobody wants to connect with a bully. And so when we start to view our, 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 the adversity and the, the source of our adversity not being from some bully God, our enemy is the source of our adversity. He's the cause. You can call him whatever you want. You can call him the devil or Satan or Lucifer or Beelzebub or Lord of the Flies. You can call him Jim. I don't care what you call him. The enemy is the cause of our adversity because he is desperately trying to keep people out of heaven. 
And he wants to keep people out of heaven because he knows when we get there, we're going to fulfill the role that he abandoned when he rebelled against God. And so he's trying to create a rebellious culture. He's trying to create a rebellious people because he knows like father, like son. And so he wants us to be his sons rather than God's sons. And so he fills our life with the thing that is native to him. From the very beginning, before humanity, adversity came from his mouth. It came from every bit of his being. And, and so God isn't the source of your adversity, but he will use it. And so today I want to show you three ways he does that. Three ways that God uses adversity. Here's the first. Sometimes God uses adversity as an opportunity. Paul, the apostle, the saint, as some people call him, had always Always, from the time he became a believer, he had always wanted to minister in Rome, but for whatever reason, he couldn't get an invitation. And so now he's in prison in Rome, chained to a guard 24 7. And the guards, they were on rotation. It was like they worked at the mill. They had, a, they had three shifts of guards and eight hours a day, three guards per day, a guard would be chained to Paul. And, and Paul would just talk about Jesus. He'd just share the message. And the guy, watch this, was a captive audience. That's called, that's a pastor joke. That's like a dad joke, but worse. This guy's changed. And I could just see, I'm sure there were some guys that were like, bro, shut up with the Jesus. Can we talk about the Bucks? Can we talk about the Maple Leaf? Can we talk about any? And he probably had that chain stretched as far as he could. And Paul just talked about Jesus all day, every day, from the minute he woke up until the minute he went to sleep. Paul talked about Jesus. And the guards started believing in Jesus. And they had no choice. They had no hope. Being chained to Paul was like being locked up with Pastor Sonny, thinking you're not going to be infected with joy and positivity. If you're in a bad mood and you want to stay there, you better stay away from her because she wakes up happy. She wakes up positive. She, and sometimes I'll get around her and I'll go, hey, cut out all that happiness. I'm trying to be in a bad mood. And so like they, they had no choice but to get changed, but to get saved. And so the, the guards, they, they started tell, uh, getting saved and they started telling other guards who started telling other guards who started telling other guards, guards that weren't chained to Paul. They started hearing about it from their friends and from their neighbors and from their coworkers. And then they started uh, taking Paul's message and it started making its way up the ranks until it reached all the way to the governor. And the governor of Rome at the time invited Paul into his presence and asked him to tell him about Jesus. But, but Paul's message never would have advanced like it did if he hadn't experienced adversity like he did. And it makes me wonder about you. What opportunity could God be using your adversity for? What is it that's so big in your life that God wants to accomplish that he's filtering it with adversity? Here's the second way that God uses adversity is he uses it for our enhancement. I, I look at, at adversity like a funnel and a filter. As I'm dropped into that funnel, I start to spin and I start to spiral out of control. But the closer something gets to the bottom of a funnel, the more pure it has to be for it to be able to pass through the funnel. And adversity does that. 
in the beginning, it makes us feel like we're out of control. But, but as we submit ourselves to the process, the process begins to purify us. Our lives are enhanced with every season of adversity as we pass through and as we conquer it. In 1992, uh, I had a life-changing event. I was arrested and I was convicted of a felony. And in that moment, in 1992, my life started spiraling and spinning out of control. I felt like th that was it for me. Like this was going, going to be my destiny. This is what I was just going to do for the rest of my life. I was going to spend the next 15 years of a sentence and beyond incarcerated because I knew if I went into the pen, I knew that I was never going to come out. And it was this life-changing moment of adversity for me. But that season of adversity funneled me to a Christian college where my life was enhanced with Jesus and Sonny and eventually my kids and ultimately with you. Like I never would have even met you had I not gone through that season of adversity. And listen, God didn't cause it, but he did use it for my enhancement. And so God moved my life. He propelled my life when I let that adversity funnel me and filter me. Here's the third way that God uses adversity is he uses it for our advancement. A D.N. Buntain, he, he was an early pioneer of the Pentecostal movement in Canada. Uh, born on a farm in Prince Edward Island, he was raised in a conservative Christian home and went on to become an ordained minister in the Methodist church, pastoring one of the denomination's largest churches in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, there, there, there was a guy named Dr. Price who, who was traveling around Canada and, and ultimately went to the Pacific Northwest, and, and he, was, he was doing what they were calling back then revival meetings. And they, and they would take a tent, and they would, they would set it up, and they would print posters, and, and they would put them all over town, and they would advertise that Dr. Price was coming to town, that revival was coming to town. And, uh, and D.N. decided as a, as a celebrated minister within the community, he was going to go and he was going to confront this false prophet at one of his tongue-talking revival meetings. Uh, the problem was, uh, when, when Pastor D.N. got to the revival meeting, the revival meeting got to him. When Dr. Price began to speak on Acts chapter 2 on the, on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, D.N. Buntain received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial, initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And, and, and he left that meeting and he went back the next Sunday uh, back to Winnipeg and he started preaching about the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues in his Methodist church <laughs> in Winnipeg, Canada. And I don't know if you know a lot about the Methodist church, but they don't speak in tongues. Let's just put that out there. And so uh, when, when, uh, when pastor got back and he started preaching about this particular gift, the leaders of his denomination, they began to hear about it. And when they heard about him preaching about the gift of speaking in tongues, they removed him from his church and they revoked his ordination. But God took that adversity and he used it for his advancement. Uh, he and a few friends who'd also received the gift of speaking in tongues started a new network of churches called the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, which today has thousands of churches, not just across Canada, but all over the world. 
But, but more than the churches that were used to impact cities across Canada and around the world, that encounter with the Holy Spirit impacted the way that he raised his kids and impacted their view of adversity. D.N. Buntain raised three kids, Mary, Mark, and Fulton. Mary would go on to be a missionary to Africa and be the first person to translate the Bible into the African dialect. This is crazy. She was a teenager. She just got out of high school and she felt like the Lord called her and she didn't know how to do that, especially back then as a woman. So she went down to the ports and she got, she got on a boat as a stowaway. And for three months, she sailed across the ocean not having any idea where she was going to land. And when she got out, it was Africa. <laughs> and so she learned how to speak their dialect. And she translated their Bible. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people were saved because of the impact that she understood about adversity. Her brother Mark, he, he would go on to also become a missionary, but he, he would go to India. And when he got to Calcutta, what's called Kolkata, India now, he started a hospital. And that hospital started another hospital. And that hospital started another hospital. And then those hospitals, they, they spread and they, they littered all of India, one of which housed the ministry of Mother Teresa. Fulton would go on to pastor Life Center Church in Tacoma, Washington, which was one of the largest churches in the Assemblies of God, the largest church on the West Coast of the United States. And he'd also become my pastor and my mentor. I wouldn't be in Green Bay if it hadn't been for Fulton Buntain, who never would have been in Tacoma and never would have pastored Life Center if his father hadn't realized that God didn't cause the adversity of him being removed from the Methodist church, but he did use it for his advancement, for mine, and ultimately for yours if this church has impacted your life. And so, so I don't know uh, where you're facing adversity today, but I do know if you'll change your view of where it comes from, that adversity won't have the effect on you that your enemy intended. In fact, like Paul, it'll have the opposite of its intended effect. It, it, it's easy to serve God when things are going good. But are you going to serve him in those even if moments? I hope so. Because if you will, it'll have an undesired effect on your enemy. It will have an adverse reaction. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Life is filled with adversity. It's filled with storms. It's filled with disappointment. It's filled with heartache. That adversity, those storms, that disappointment, that heartache, it, it has one of two effects on people. It drives people away from God or it draws people toward God. Today, I think that there's people who came in here today and, and, and up until maybe even this moment, your adversity has been driving you away from God. But something happened during this service. You, you walked in and somebody gave you a high five. You, you got a free cup of coffee. When you dropped your kids off, somebody was friendly to you. When you, when you walked in this auditorium and the team started playing and the team started singing, something, something moved inside of your spirit. Something shifted as, as the word began to be spoken. Something moved, something shifted inside of your spirit and a, and a shift happened. You, you realized that you've been in a funnel. You've been inside of a filter. And this morning, we're going to give you the opportunity to complete the purification process that will allow you to get through the bottom of that funnel 
to fulfill your destiny to become a person of God. See, in the church world, we call this the salvation process, the process where, where God rescues you, rescues you from sin, rescues you from shame, rescues you ultimately from yourself. It happened for me, you know, 25 years ago. For you, it could happen today. It, it's a simple process, but a challenging delivery. Scripture says that for you to become a person who is a person of God, you've got to do two things. You, you have to confess that you're a sinner and profess that God can change that. And so this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to do both of those things. And here's how. In just a moment, I'm going to do two things. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people who don't have a relationship with God but want one to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once, once you've made eye contact with me, you could put your hand down. That's going to be your act of confession. Secondly, I'm going to say a few lines in a prayer that I'm going to pause. I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat what it is I said in that prayer. If you repeat it and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. You will become a person of God. So nobody looking around, if you're here today and you say, Sean, I do not have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to have one before I leave here with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand right now and make God contact me? Thanks. 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 Thank you. Okay, I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life. I don't want it anymore. Please take it. Forgive it. Change me. Help me be a person of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus person. I'm a person of God. Uh, but but you'd be honest and you'd be frank in here today and you'd say, I'm dealing with some adversity. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise up your hand so that I could pray for you? Golly. Just keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Yeah. God, for my friends in this place, thank you for their courage. Thank you uh, for the vulnerability that they would display to admit that they're in adversity. God, whatever that adversity is, I pray you'd give them strength. I pray you'd give them mercy. I pray you'd give them wisdom. I pray you'd give them protection. That God, you would speak life over them, God. That God, you're not the cause of their adversity, but you are the deliverer of their adversity. So do that for them today. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.